Hello, this is Dr. Pascal Paradis, educational and developmental psychologist and supervisor, and you're listening to a Psych Moving Abroad Stories podcast, a podcast where we're trying to tell lots of different stories of psychologists moving abroad and creating lots of meaningful connections to support one another in moving abroad and in our adaptation journeys. So we're really, really hoping that this podcast will help many in telling all of these very rich and interesting stories. So thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us at the Website Moving Abroad Stories podcast. And in this episode, our fifth episode, we have Tess Brown, who's joining us talking about her move uh, journey from the UK to Hong Kong and how her role was very much different um, working in Hong Kong. And we are having lots of insights and reflections about her work there and how this was different to her NHS role working with clients with trauma back in the UK. So I'm really sincerely hoping that you find this episode helpful and you'll join me in, think, in thanking uh, Tess for her contribution. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, so great to have uh, many listening to us and uh, today we're going to talk to Dr. Tess Brown, who's uh, from the UK and living in Hong Kong. So we're really looking forward to hear all about Tess's um, stories. And thank you very much, uh, Tess, for joining the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Um, well, Tess, let's kick it off. So tell us a little bit about your migration journey. Um, so I guess it began just over seven years ago. Um, at that time I was living and working in London. Um, so I'm from the UK originally, um, did all my education, all my training as a clinical psychologist, uh, in the UK. Um, and I think I've been qualified about three or four years, I think, um, when the opportunity presented itself for my partner to move to Hong Kong with his work. And I was quite excited by this opportunity because I've always loved travel. I've done an awful lot of independent travel in the past and I've always had a a hankering to actually live abroad for a, um, you know, a long period of time. Um, So I I was quite excited by the opportunity um but also a bit intimidated by it because my career has always been so important to me and um i didn't even know you know what what the opportunities were for for me to to work in hong kong um so putting the kind of excitement of the idea of it aside um started doing lots of research um getting on google i was really fortunate in that i managed to connect with a clinical psychologist 
who had been in Hong Kong, but had recently relocated back to the UK. And so I was able to kind of meet up with him and he was really helpful in sort of giving me all the lowdown on visas and just the working circumstances for clinical psychologists in Hong Kong. So that was, that was quite pivotal actually in terms of um, my decision because um, I realized it was possible and I should hopefully be able to get some work. Um, but it was still quite hard leaving behind my, my role in, in London at the time. I was working part-time for the NHS, um, working in a specialist trauma uh, uh, department, which is my, one of my specialisms. And I, I really loved the role. Um, and I was also working in private practice in London. I'd recently started that up about nine months before. So it did feel like a lot to kind of give up. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of toing and froing with the decision. Um, and in the end, I was very fortunate that my um, manager and my NHS trust agreed to give me a sabbatical for 18 months for us to, to go on this um, adventure. Um, as it happened, obviously, I've ended up staying in Hong Kong a lot longer than 18 months. So <laughs> I have since, since handed in my notice from that role. But it, was, it, definitely, made, it definitely made leaving um, everything that I knew in London a lot easier, knowing that I kind of had this cushion. I had this, mm-hmm. this opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, this job that I knew to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly was my intention. Um, but it didn't work out that way. <laughs> um, and so, yes, then we, we moved over to Hong Kong. My partner came out a few months before me uh, just because he was needed for work. And I had a few uh, commitments um, in the UK. So I came out a few months later. And I think the biggest challenge that I faced on arrival was in terms of a visa, because mm-hmm. me and my partner were not married at the time. So I wasn't able to get a dependent visa. Uh, so the the type of visa that I was actually applying for is called a quality skilled migrants visa, which is essentially a visa for professionals in need in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the same visa that the, the man that I met had successfully had. So um, he kind of you know, talked to me through the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I applied for that actually before I left the UK, but it took a lot, lot longer than I was anticipating to come through. So it actually took 12 months from start to finish for the visa to come through. So I think I applied in the May, arrived in Hong Kong in the September. So I wasn't actually able to work until the following May. Mm-hmm. Um, which in hindsight sounds lovely, but at the time <laughs> was quite a nerve wracking time. Um, and I suppose I was a, li- a little bit bored. Um, but um, yeah, it was just kind of a long waiting process. Um, so during that time, I just did a lot of networking. That is definitely one thing which I, I mean, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but certainly in Hong Kong, it's quite a small population here. Um, well, certainly sort of expat English speaking population in terms of mental health and psychology. So networking goes a very, very long way. Um, Lots of opportunities come to you through um, who you know and your reputation. Um, So I was fortunate that I got linked in with a a medical clinic here, a GP clinic. Um, There was a psychologist who was just leaving herself. So I ended up uh, taking her spot at the clinic 
Um, but then I couldn't actually start for several months until my visa came through, but it was still nice to know that as soon as my visa came through, I could start work. Also during that process, there was another psychologist at this medical clinic who was setting up her own private practice and she invited me to come on board and join her practice when she when it opened and in the end all the sort of stars aligned and the practice her practice opened and my visa came through within weeks of each other mm-hmm. so finally I was able to to start doing some some work so initially when I first started working here I was working in um in my well she's now my friend's private practice which was new just starting up and then I was working in an established medical GP practice as well and so I was taking private referrals from both of those um both of those routes um so that's yeah that's how it started off um so it was a bit um yeah it was it was kind of a long drawn out process really in terms of getting started but mainly due to the visa mainly due to the visa issue so uh, how is it um, in hong kong to have qualifications recognized from the uk i assume it's a quite straightforward process yes well um there's no um compulsory or formal regulation here for clinical psychologists um or in fact i believe any mental health professional um probably doctors aside um and so yeah there was no need for me to get my uh, registration kind of noticed or um to register with any kind of regulatory body um there is now um a regulatory body which at the moment is on a voluntary basis but i believe will become permanent at some point which now monitors clinical and regulates clinical psychologists so that came in probably about 18 months ago um but at the time when i arrived um there was there was nothing like that so that wasn't that wasn't an issue which i feel very fortunate about because i did meet various other health professionals when i was waiting for my visa who had visas but they was they had a really long wait for the regulatory um clearances to come through so i was quite happy that wasn't a hurdle that i sort of had to jump over here in hong kong um so i mean there's you know that that's a that's a pro for me it made the process easier but i definitely see that as a huge con generally in that essentially anybody can you know set up in private practice and call themselves a a clinical psychologist or whatever title they wish and that does mean that there is a quite a broad spectrum of different types of clinicians with different types of training and different types of background here Mm -hmm. um and that makes it obviously i mean i find it hard as professionals sometimes to really understand kind of what their title means or what their training means um so yeah i imagine that it makes it virtually impossible for mm-hmm. for a member of the public to <laughs> to work it all out mm, um definitely. but yeah i think that will get be tightening up certainly in terms of clinical psychology in the next couple of years with this new this new register coming in mm-hmm. and what what has the the role been like in in private practice what does that look like so in, in um, hong kong <laughs> In Hong Kong, yeah. So, um, and it does, it looks quite different to private practice when I practiced in in the UK. Um, I mean, firstly, I I only speak English. um, So that obviously limits um, who I can see in private practice, only English speaking 
um, people. Um, the when I first when I first arrived in Hong Kong, I kept my um, I guess referral criteria quite broad, which I think was more to do with my mindset than any kind of necessity. You know that that kind of scarcity mindset, like I won't get enough referrals, I won't get enough clients, you know, and to to pay the bills. Um, so you know, as a psychologist trained in broad range of presentations and also across all the ages, I was quite. I was quite open about um, who I would see. Yeah. And I remember a psychiatrist who I met for a coffee in the early days, taking me to side and, and saying, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything. Be a bit strict with your boundaries around what time you're going to work. You know, you don't have to work evenings. You don't have to work weekends. Um, you don't have to see, you know, children and adults. You can be, you can refine it down and, and be more niche. Um, and I, I think that advice was really, really good. And I, I wish I'd listened to it a little bit earlier. It's certainly a piece of advice that I share with new clinicians coming into the country. Um, because certainly in terms of sort of people's timings and so forth, I do find here in Hong Kong, Hong Kong's very small generally. And so it doesn't take people very long to travel from A to B. Public transport's very cheap. So people really are very able to just pop out during their working day to come to appointments. Um, you, know, you know, there's no need to be offering evenings or weekends unless you particularly want to. Certainly, I mean, I work with adults. This might be a little bit different with children, obviously, who are at school mm -hmm. and so forth. But um, so I... Over, the, over the, the six years that I've been in private practice here, I've definitely niched down, I think, as I've, I've kind of moved through my journey. Um, so now I work solely with adults, um, primarily with people um, who align with my specialisms, which are trauma, PTSD, and perinatal mental health. Um, so that, that's kind of evolved, um, especially my interest in perinatal mental health. As I became a mother, I became more interested in that area. I did further training in that area. So that's definitely been a, a niche that's kind of evolved over the time that I've been here. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the kind of presenting issues, I mean, much like anywhere, really. Um, I do think in Hong Kong, certainly the, the clients that I see, um, there's a lot of work-related stress here. You know, I think, um, I can't remember the statistic, but I think Hong Kong has some of the longest working hours in the world. Um, and so um, I do see a lot of uh, working professionals. Um, I, I think another potential bias towards that might be that private practice here in Hong Kong is very expensive. I know it is everywhere. Um, but that obviously uh, limits the people who can access it. Um, and a lot of people will access it through their private medical insurance, which they get through work. So therefore I'm seeing a lot of people who are coming from the kind of professional, professional um, angle or their family members. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And um what have been any learning points along the way? So you've mentioned a few that you mentioned to clinicians that are starting. Um, what about other uh, working in a different culture mm. and, you know, be part of a different country? 
Sure. Um, so definitely, yeah, there's definitely been a, a huge culture shift. I mean, I was working in London before, which is obviously a very culturally diverse city, um, but I probably hadn't been exposed uh, that much to Chinese culture um, before before I made the move out here. So that's been fascinating to learn more about that and just to learn more about some of the uh, family the typical family dynamics, some of the typical family expectations, which um, are quite different to say some of the expectations from my own family of origin and some of the ones that I was maybe exposed to more in the UK. So an example of that might be that there's often an expectation of children to financially support their parents, their grandparents, um, and to, I would say, typically live at home a lot longer than than perhaps... um, in the UK and so obviously that brings different pressures in terms which which can impact on on mental health um and also I think some of the um accepted practices around discipline parenting child rearing um are maybe quite different to some of the the general practices that um I'm I suppose I would most morally aligned with or I'm most exposed to when when I was working in the UK so mm. um so it's been it's been fascinating kind of learning all about the, those mm. different um those different angles um and, and and then bringing that into my work um mm-hmm. especially relating to sort of childhood trauma and those kinds of things mm-hmm. um so that's definitely been a, a um a challenge but 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 one that's been really fascinating at the same time. Um, I think another challenge that came to mind when you asked that question is um, around sort of work versus personal life boundaries, because I know when I was trained in the UK, you know, it's very trained, sort of trained into us to keep your personal life very separate from work. Um, I was trained very much with this sort of blank slate model of, you know, not really not really giving too much away to to the client um it became quite clear to me quite early on living out in hong kong that hong kong is a very small world and you will bump into your clients everywhere (laughs) and i've had so many experiences of that um you know we all live in high rises here at one point i was living in the same high rise as two of my clients we would see each other by the swimming pool in our swimwear. <laughs> we would share the lift with each other when I had my children with me. We'd bump into each other in the local shop at the, at the till. Um, and so, you know, it became quite, uh, quite clear quite early on that, you know, you're not able to maintain this complete blank slate because people are sort of seeing your lives. And, and it seems that everybody knows someone who knows you here in Hong Kong. So, um, so that was a, an interesting challenge just to kind of consider and to think about how best to approach. And so, I mean, for me, I, I always have that conversation now with, with new clients that there's probably a likelihood we know the same people into yeah. each other or be at the same restaurant or the same parties. Um, you know, how do, how do we want to navigate that if it happens? Yeah. Um, and that's definitely a conversation that I would have had back in the UK with clients, but I think it's very rare that I ever bumped into any of my clients when I was out and about, whereas here in Hong Kong, that happens a lot. Mm. So you definitely just have to be a bit more relaxed about 
that, but also considerate about how you're going to navigate that um, when it probably inevitably does happen to you. <laughs> um, so that's been a that's been an interesting sort of learning point, I would say. Um, yeah, probably two main ones. Yeah, that sounds great. And what would you say in terms of uh, skills when you're working cross-culturally? What would you say have been skills that you've embraced? Ooh, good question. Um, I think I think kind of flexibility um, in terms of applying some of the therapeutic models that I've like, you know, learned through my training that I use typically. Um, there's definitely certain terminology or certain uh, explanations or approaches that might lend themselves quite well to one culture, but might maybe need tweaking for another culture or if someone's first language is in English, for example. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example now and I can't think of one, but um, I know, I know when I was working in the UK, working in trauma, I used to do a lot of work through interpreters. So that would often be the case. Um, but here in private practice, um, I don't work through interpreters. Uh, so I, I don't have that to fall back on for them to help me kind of interpret things. So just having to be quite sort of fluid and flexible in terms of how I might explain certain strategies approaches ideas um uh yeah that's definitely mm. i'd say one one skill um mm. i think what else um you mentioned about um you know the fascination in learning about the culture i suppose there's a, a sense of curiosity that must come with that <laughs> yeah oh absolutely and and i think and you know i I think anybody who chooses to move abroad to a, especially to a culture that's not familiar to their own is likely to have a kind of fascination in terms of exploring other cultures, adventure, travel, those kinds of things. And I do find that most of the people that I work with and, and, and the people I meet outside of work here in Hong Kong share that value um, and share that interest. Um, when it's not COVID, uh, Hong Kong is a very, very, very transient place, a very small place. So um, a lot of people will travel very, very frequently um, to other places in Asia, other places around the world. It's a very, very easy country to travel in and out of. Mm -hmm. The airport's very slick, you know, it's, 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 it's just transport's fantastic. It's just very, very simple to travel. And so a lot of people do. Um, and so that's definitely been something that's been lovely to kind of share with the people I'm working with, hear about their adventures, their experiences overseas, share my own. You know, often people will be going traveling places that I might have been or I might be going to. Um, but also, you know, hearing about um, their experiences, especially um, when I'm working with people, say, from mainland China, I found that very interesting kind of learning more about um, their experiences and, and the way of life out there because it is so different to you know life in the UK which is mm. I, I think in Hong Kong life to many 
to, to, to a great degree is very similar to the UK here. Um, it's mm -hmm. quite, quite familiar culture in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's been a real delight to be able to kind of share that with, with my clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Um, and what would you say um, you've been grateful for in terms of your journey? Oh, I think I'm really grateful for the opportunities that working out here has brought me. Um, I had started my journey in private practice in the UK before we moved here. But since being, I guess, forced to work in private practice full time, um, probably much sooner than I ever would have dared had I stayed in the UK, I think that's given me a level of of confidence of competence um and it's and it's changed my sort of future career ambitions actually um and so i'm i'm kind of grateful that i w was put in this position that's that's given me the opportunity to think a little bit differently about what my future career trajectory might look like i think before the move out here i probably would have envisioned um, working for the National Health Service in the UK for much of my career and being here has exposed me to so many different opportunities both in terms of private clinical work but also I do an awful lot of training with um, corporates and big organizations. Um, I recently, well last year, it's not that recent now I suppose, 18 months ago started working part-time for an investment bank out here um, which has been a fantastic opportunity working in-house as their psychologist, being involved both in terms of therapy, but also in terms of doing lots of training and contributing towards um, the, their sort of progression in terms of resilience and mental health support for their staff. Um, I've also been involved in supervision on one of the doctoral courses out here and some oh, teaching. So there's just been so many different opportunities that I've been able to access since I've been here. And I think because um, I'm a, what's the phrase? I'm a, I'm a big fish in a small pond out here, but you know, there aren't that many um, clinical psychologists or, or kind of well trained clinical psychologists. So when the opportunities do present themselves, I guess there's less competition. <laughs> than I think I would have in the UK and I don't sort of say that to sort of like put myself down but I, I do think I do think that that has contributed towards me being able to access some of these opportunities and I'm so grateful for that because mm. I've loved them um, well I've not loved all of them I've loved some of them um, but they've all been great learning experiences in terms of which direction I want to to take my career going forward um, and so, what will that be what what's well yeah, we, well, as a family, we're actually making plans to relocate back to the UK actually this summer um, after seven years here. Um, and so I'm, I'm just in the process now of kind of working out what that might look like for me professionally. Um, and actually, certainly in the short term, I'm actually just going to continue much of the work that I do here in Hong Kong from the UK and do it remotely. Mm -hmm. Much of my work this year has been online anyway, because yeah. obviously with, with COVID and so forth. Um, so many of my private clients want to continue with me online as many of them speak to me online already just means we need to slightly change the timing of the session I'll be able to continue working at least in the short term for the for the bank that I work at so in the certainly in the, the foreseeable future I think from a 
uh, a work perspective, I will, it will look quite similar to here. I'll just be doing it from the UK and probably having to get up quite early to match with Hong Kong hours. So that'll be the biggest <laughs> shift. <laughs> I have to get some earlier bedtimes and waking up <laughs> earlier. Um, but yeah, and I guess I, I just, I, I don't know what the long-term future plans for me, but I am a big believer. I guess I'm a big believer in opportunities and fate. And I never would have predicted when I finished my doctorate that I would end up working in Hong Kong for seven years uh, in private practice and working at a bank. That certainly wouldn't have been, um, you know, a, an aspiration or, or, mm. or even on my radar. So um, I'm a big believer that when opportunities come up, um, you know, you take them. And I, I believe that opportunities will come up. So yeah. I, I have a plan for the next sort of six months just to carry on yeah. with my remote work. And then I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens, yeah. what happens next. Um, but Sounds exciting. exciting. Yeah, it's exciting, the, the not knowing in a way. <laughs> yeah, and to redefine what you'd like to do in the UK. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because there's definitely an awful lot that I miss from working within a sort of a, an organization in a salaried uh, full-time role, things like um, continuing professional development opportunities, training, um, supervision, um, work, working multidisciplinary. There's an, there is an awful lot that I miss, um, but I think that what, one thing I've learned having worked in private practice for so many years now is that you can bring those things into your private practice you just have to be quite proactive about mm. it you know if you if you make the right networks you can build your own kind of um remote multidisciplinary team uh, you know mm. if you're if you're proactively looking for good training opportunities or, or signing up for um you know alerts for training providers you can still access good training opportunities so um and same with supervision you know i my clinical supervisors are in the uk because i sought out specialists in the areas that i wanted so um you know although i do miss those things from working within the health service in the uk you can you can create those things within private practice yeah i think that's a very good point and being strategic about it um yeah definitely you can set your little team around you yeah yeah i think that's really important especially i mean i'm lucky in that i work within a um a clinic so there are other therapists counselors psychologists within the clinic so i'm able to access informal peer supervision um you know which i think is just so important just to be able to you know have that kind of chat um if you need to after a difficult session or over over a coffee in the in the kitchen um but i'm aware if you're working completely independently then you need to be much more proactive at making sure you've got mm -hmm. those networks but there's many many therapists here in hong kong who do work in that way and as i say everyone's very proactive in terms of networking meeting up when we can um and so yeah i don't think that that's i don't think that's an insurmountable obstacle mm, definitely yeah um what would be your advice um to a colleague who would like to move abroad i would say do it <laughs> um i would i just think life is too short i think if you've got an itch and an opportunity you know an opportunity presents itself take it or seek out an opportunity um i think the biggest obstacle to m moving abroad working abroad 
is probably our own anxiety and the fear of the unknown. And I know for me, that was definitely the biggest thing that was kind of holding me back from uh, 100% committing to this, this idea of a move straight away. Um, but, you know, as, as we psychologists know, um, often the reality is, is, is nowhere near as, as bad as, as the thing that you fear. And there'll be so many rich learning experiences along the way. And, and even if it doesn't work out, you know, even if you move abroad and it's not for you or the circumstances, the situation doesn't feel right for you for some reason, um, and there'll still be so many rich learning experiences from that. Maybe you'll have a, you know, that in itself might teach you, no, I want to be near a family. Like that's really something I really value or it might teach you that, no, I, I don't want to work privately. I want to work in a larger organization or vice versa. So I think we have to kind of push ourselves outside our comfort zone to really hone in on, on, on what feels right for us. So I would say, um, if you're thinking about it, I would, I would say do it. I have no regrets at all. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. <laughs> and I completely agree and relate to, to this. <laughs> uh, I was like, also, like, oh, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's always easier to say in hindsight when you've been through it, but, um, but I'm, I'm really pleased that I had this, this psychologist who, who just done it who just come back to the UK and like I say we, we just met for a beer in, in London and he was so enthusiastic and so kind of egging me on and, and made it sound so possible and I guess I'll be you know we're not in touch anymore but I'll be forever grateful for him for, for giving me the kind of confidence to kind of just step into step into that fear so if I can help anyone else do the same then I'm all for that. That sounds fantastic um and hopefully that'll be okay to put your email address at the bottom of the uh, podcast so people can contact you if they need a little bit of support. In. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially with regards to Hong Kong, that's obviously my area uh, yes, of expertise. Of <laughs> but, you know, even just, just the, the, the experience of moving abroad, yeah, I'm more than happy for people to reach out. And, and Fantastic. Um, that sounds great. And thank you so much, Tess, for joining us today. And uh, thank you for being here listening and hopefully this was a, a helpful uh, conversation okay thank you thank you for having me i enjoyed it thank you you have been listening to ape psych moving abroad stories podcast i hope that these uh, stories were really really helpful and we have many more to come if you're interested in participating in this podcast you can contact dr pascal Paradi at info at threepeepsychology.com or uh, reach out on twitter linkedin or alternatively you can also join our upside moving abroad facebook group or pascal is also at the uk overseas psychologists in australia facebook group so speak to you soon